But let's circle it back around to textbooks because one of the things I often hear, and I certainly felt it myself as a student, is textbooks are so expensive. Yes. Right, so expensive. Right. And so we have to remember that the market is very small. Yeah. You know, for especially anything in veterinary medicine, the market is really small. Um, and yet the physical book is quite expensive to produce and they're often translated into other languages so they can be used around the globe. Sorry for saying sorry media presents the Purr podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, and this is the Per Podcast. Happy New Year! Happy New Year to you. Do you like my new, very smooth and practiced opening? Yeah, it was really good. This, this is 2021, so uh, you yep. have practiced, and yep. uh, it, it's a great start of the new year. It's my. It was one of my resolutions. I'm going to be better at at episode openings. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> you, you, know, you did it. So. I can Tell me a fun cat fact of the new year. In the, so we were in now a week. Uh, tell me one fun cat fact that has happened to you in the last couple of days. Oh my goodness. Uh, well, I don't have any cats at home, so I can't tell you. They're all, they live in the clinic. So I got, I got messages. Uh, here, I'll, I'll tell you a holiday story about the cats. So the two cats that I have who live in one of my clinics are Frank and Brian. Mm -hmm. And our they, CFO and our CEO, isn't it? Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Part of our executive committee. Yeah. Yes. And they usually go home with some of our team members over the holiday, right? Because everybody feels bad about it, bad about them being in the clinic. Like somebody normally, um, we have cats boarding with us during the winter holidays. There's always people in. There, yeah. it's just not the same as the clinic being open, right? So, and then this year, because of the pandemic, we don't have any borders at all. Like there's nobody in the clinic and we closed the clinic for longer. So anyway, my team members took them home. And so I got pictures of them over little, you know, like little phone pictures of them over the holiday, um, uh, enjoying the good life in, uh, in, in, the, in our team members' homes. So. Oh, you so, need uh, to share those on, the, on our Instagram. Yeah, we can do that. Yep, yeah, because they they had uh, they look like they had a better holiday than me. Frankly, they had a very <laughs> good holiday. I guess that's the one nice thing about you know our cats and dogs. I was thinking that today as I was taking one of our um, members of the other species out for a walk today. Like they are blissfully unaware of what's going on. That's a good thing. Yes, yeah. that's absolutely true. So my cat fact was that today, Dr. Marcia Harmeling, uh, a ex-colleague of mine so she retired from hills but she sent me a cat face mask and it oh, is so cute and i don't lovely. know if i would show it to you but if you check uh, the yeah, our instagram i i posted it on the Fair podcast instagram and uh, so that is my cat fun fact of the year it's oh, that's nice we yeah. have uh, face masks with our clinic logo on them so yeah that's good yeah that's yeah. kind of fun so normally i use surgical face masks and 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 it's kind of funny because 
people always complain about face masks and I think they're so comfortable. Yeah. Especially the surgical ones, because it, it brings me back to my surgery days where I was wearing them all day long, eight yeah. hours, 10 hours. And, yeah. and so I'm so used to them. So for me, it's okay to wear face masks. I don't feel claustrophobic. I don't feel that I can't breathe, etc. As a matter of fact, it feels very comfortable. So yeah. as a surgeon, I, I think that it is a little easier to, uh, to deal with the face mask situation. I think most vets have had a little bit of an advantage there, right? Because uh, we're all, almost all of us are used one way or the other for whether it's a long part of the day or a short part of the day, we're all used to wearing masks, so. And that is exactly it, that's exactly yeah. it. So, uh, and you yeah, know but- like, I don't know, I was gonna ask you this, um, earlier in your career as a surgeon, did you have like cloth reusable masks? We did, or did no. you always have disposable? Yeah, so we were really strict. We had cloth, very early on, we had cloth um, like gowns. Yes. We, we, of course, we have cloth clothes, so scrubs or cloth. Yep. And then we had cloth gowns, and they were replaced by disposable gowns. Yeah. And we had cloth um, drapes, but they oh, were yep. also uh, uh, replaced, and, and, and we used to have cloth. Um, caps they were also replaced by disposable and then at a certain point the cloth um, caps came back but for the rest everything was disposable mm-hmm. and I, I have to say I felt I felt that the disposable uh, gowns were more comfortable than the cloth ones because the cloth ones I mean the, the negative part is they just leak so uh, you know if you have a bloody surgery and I have yeah. quite a lot of those because I do a lot of oncology um, you were soaked you know, there was yeah. blood everywhere. You found blood in places that you don't want to find. It. <laughs> yeah. And, and so with these disposables, I mean, they are waterproof. So nothing yeah. came through. And that was that was much more comfortable. Um, and, 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 you know, Utrecht had climate controlled ORs. They were beautiful. So it, it, it was pretty comfortable. Yeah. Know? I can imagine if, if it's really hot. So I, I remember that the airco fell out and we were doing surgery. And then those disposable closers is awful yeah awful. so yeah and a really good switch to the topic as a matter of fact because we decided for the new year that we're going to talk about something different which is writing books and 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 the reason that we wanted to talk about this is because both dr susan and i are writing books and you know in the beginning it sounds like a really good idea but now we are wondering <laughs> why in the hell that we do it because it's such pain. it's such a pain but uh, we're <laughs> to talk about the good the bad and the ugly of yes. writing books yes that's true um, my my family reminds me every time because i'm starting my third textbook my, ma- my my family reminds me every time you said i heard you say last time i was never gonna do this again <laughs> so to me working on another textbook now, this is an analogy that won't ring true for you, Yola, but it does for me. It's like having children. It's like, go. it's labor and delivery, right? So a lot of women go through labor and delivery and say, I am never doing that again, yeah. Yeah. right? But you know, with the passage of time. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> and then along comes another baby. So to me, that's what the textbooks are like. 
So first, okay, you have two textbooks right now. Yes. The CATS. Yeah, and the CAT, Clinical Medicine and Management. Yep. Yes. And so what is the third one then going to be? Well, it's the second edition of the CAT. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So you, yeah. it's not a new textbook. It's not a new to... title, but okay. it is a, a new so book. We have to make that differentiation. So writing a new book is completely different than revising a old book because if you revise when you still have the backbones of the old chapter and then you add to it the new versions um yeah although i i have to tell you it just creates different problems yes than starting from scratch yes. they're just they're just two different sets of problems really yeah yes, so so i'm going to uh, challenge you a little bit here and so you are working right now on which of the two books it's the cat so you worked on the cat and what is the last chapter that you did and what was it about? The last chapter I finished or the one I'm currently working on? Let's do currently working. So I'm working on, um, I'm usually working on more than one at once. So right now I am most of the way, maybe, maybe past halfway through uh, upper urinary tract diseases and the and so so may, maybe it might be helpful for me to back up a bit because I work on textbooks that have many authors and that's again different right than if it's just yourself or yourself and one other person mm -hmm. so let's just back up first and I'll, and I'll tell you what the process at least what the process is like my process is like with yeah. the author books so, um, especially with a new book, it's usually the editor. So that would be me and okay. it would be you, Yola, for your book, right? You decide what the contents are going to be, right? We have to draft out what are the different chapters, you know, so you have to have kind of a draft or a framework for that. And then for me, because I work on multi-author books, I have to find authors for a lot of those or I end up writing them all myself, which is not a good thing. So I always write some of it myself. And in reality, I write more of it than it looks like I write. Yeah, <laughs> chapters that nobody else wants to write. You're probably yeah, not. Yeah, um, but so I have to find somebody to write the chapter. And so once that happens, they write a chapter. And for this version, I have two kind of assistant editors who, did the first review of not all the chapters, but a, a big chunk of them. That was a big help. So Dr. Margie Shirk, mm -hmm. who's a friend of ours and has been on this podcast, and Dr. Randolph Barrel, who is in Australia mm -hmm. and a, a brilliant feline vet. So they did a first review of a lot of the chapters for me. And then they send it back to the primary author. And then the primary author, you know, looks at the suggested changes, and then it comes to me and I do my review and then it goes back to the primary author. And then hopefully <laughs> it comes back to me for the last time, but sometimes that can be back and forth. <laughs> so yeah. I try to minimize the back and forth. Cause you know, if you think about it, that's already like a long process, right? Takes weeks. Yeah, because, weeks. because, you know, when you start with the idea of a book and then you know, when you pick up your, your authors, you need to give those authors plenty of time to write the chapter. Yeah. Often that's months. And then- It'd be close to a year, yeah. You hope that the authors, yeah, because I'm coming there, 
Uh, so you say that six months, but then you hope that the authors will hit that timeline at which 99% will not. That's and not so That's why it's extended. And you will have authors that probably will take a year or two or three even to finish chapters. So that's why once you sometimes are forced to write the chapter yourself because you're so tired of waiting that yep. it, it is nothing against the person itself, but it's like people are busy and this is extra and it's a lot of work to write a good chapter. It's a lot of work because you have to do a good literature review and with chapters, because there's not really peer review, you need to be pretty sure what you're writing is right because people will be using this for a long time. And so you will have to review all the literature that's on the topic. And you can imagine if you do a PipMed search of diabetes in a cab, oh my gosh, there's so many articles. So yeah. uh, obviously there are topics that have less depth, but, uh, but most of these articles are, uh, yeah, that, it, it just takes a long time. And then, you know, you have your associate editors and then you have the, the final editor. And, but then it's not done even because then you have to go to the next phase, which is why. Yeah, so, but I'm gonna pick up on something you said that's a really good point. Um, I guess there is a kind of peer review. I guess that's what editors do really is a bit of peer review, right? But it is a different process than if you were publishing a journal article. But I think one of the things that I take very seriously as an editor who picks the authors is I wanna pick somebody that I know knows that subject really well, Yeah. right? You don't wanna pick somebody who would need to have uh, uh, a more skilled expert check their work. You want to pick as best you can, right? Somebody that you're going to have a lot of confidence in really knows the subject. So just picking the right author in the first place is a big deal. But, you know, I still have to do, um, I still have to do a literature review to look at, you know, these, these manuscripts and, and make sure that they are complete, complete and whatnot. And, you know, there's always judgment calls, what do you leave in, what do you take out? But so by the time we're done all this back and forth, then it goes into the publisher and the publisher uses copy editors. And yep. so these are kind of your grammar, spelling and clarity people. Yes. <laughs> now, the, that process can vary depending on who's the editor. So me as an editor, um, I am a bit of a grammar, spelling and clarity nerd. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and I, and it's for me, it's always a tough balance between letting all of the different chapter authors have their own voice and their own style versus having a bit of consistency. So I try to strike kind of a balance there. So, because if everybody's too wildly different in, in how they write it, it's going to be more difficult. Um, and so I try to have it. So by the time it goes to the copy editors, you know, a lot of this stuff is done because when the copy editors send it back, there can be real fights over what the copy editor wants to do yeah. and, <laughs> and maybe what the author wants to do. So I try to handle all the copy editing stuff myself. And, you know, I will, I will push back if I think the copy editor has suggested changes that are, you know, too dramatic and pull away from what the author really intended. It's not factual issues so much as it's kind of style, right? Yeah. yeah. So I try to handle all that myself, but because I, uh, 
by that point, I really don't want the authors to have to worry about anything. Like from their point of view, that's done and everything else from here on is me. So the copy editing is a very nerve wracking time for me as those <laughs> manuscripts come back. And you all do it to yourself. Huh? So that I just want to make that clear that normal well. processes are not like this. Um, although I, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to reflect a little bit. So I'm working on The Cutting Edge right now, which yes. is a book basic surgery book, uh, which has not only our feline friends, but it is, as a matter of fact, multi-species. Yeah. So there is some horse stuff and cow stuff and yeah. the D word and everything. But um, because it's basic surgery, it's okay to do that that way. Yeah. Um, but I took a different path. So there's multiple authors that wrote the articles and this book has been published before in 2006. And this is a revamp of that. Um, but I am publishing it on my own, which is completely different. And the reason that I'm doing that is I want this book to be free, downloadable for anybody. So there's no, people don't have to pay for it. It will be, and there's so two versions. One will be published, and I'm working on that right now, will be published every week on my website, which is globalveneersurgery.net. Um, and so you can see that, and that's just a digital version. And then we will have a PDF version, which is now at my, it's not a, it's not a copy editor, it's the next step where you get a person that puts it in yeah. the format. So the format editor or the format person. Lay layout. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's not only the layout, it's also, um, they, they look at the text and decide how the text is presented. So, uh, so it's, design colors, it's the pictures yeah. is how, how big the print is with the pictures and that sort of thing. So, so that's what we're working on. And that will be a PDF that will be downloadable and then anybody can print it. So what I wanted to do is for schools uh, to have this surgery book available so students can download this, print it themselves, and just uh, run with it without being worried about, uh, uh, you know, using the book or having to pay for it. So, so that was my global idea, um, but it takes a little bit more time than I thought it would because I am now doing everything myself. Yeah. And I am not as good a copy editor as you are. I know you're very, very strict about it. So this, <laughs> this book has less, you know, there are probably punctuation mistakes and variations in it because you, you're right, there's multiple authors and they have a different style. And so I can put my style on top of that. And I'm not a native English speaker, which also mm. doesn't help. Mm. Um, but, um, and and uh, so I, I think that the, so I, I took quite a lot, a big load on my shoulders with this yeah. project. So I'm really happy that it's done. And my that the, the chapter that was published last week was all about um, instruments. Uh, do you have one second? Yeah. I just can you hear the music on the background? No. Okay. Oh, vaguely. Just if when you're very quiet, I can hear. You think that will be a problem? Hopefully not. Okay. So while we're talking. Okay. So. Uh, I'll go on. So Ben, sorry, you have to cut this part out <laughs> or not one of the two, but uh, no, uh, uh, but so it, it, it takes a lot of work to do that. And so I was working on the, the chapter before was about draping and about uh, putting on uh, your surgery, how to put on your surgery scrubs and that sort of things. And also how to put on your gloves. And there's two 
different ways you can do it. You can do the open and the closed method. Um, and, and so what I really like, there's very few books that give a, a version or step-by-step -step version of how to do it exactly. So, so this, this will, this will do it. So for, for me, it was really important to make this freely available. I'm a big, uh, proponent of, you know, um, articles that are freely accessible. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, I said no to, uh, I got an offer to write an article about social media, uh, and I was supposed to do it with Je Dr. Jessica Fogelsang. We, you know, we would team up, uh, but the publisher and the, the only thing that I asked for was open access. And the publisher said no, and and this is the first time that I said no to a you know to do that because it, I think when you put a lot of work in something, it needs to be available for everybody. So so I'm a big open access um, you know person that that likes open access articles and that sort of thing. So so that's what I'm working on right now, and it's it is a lot of fun to do, but it's also very very stressful. So <laughs> yes. I, you bring up the issue of cost, though, and and so <clears throat> I think we we all like it when things are open access, whether it's a you know an article or a book or or whatever. But we we have to remember that still somebody's paying for it, right? So if you and I, as the end user, aren't paying for the article, somebody still somewhere along the way had to pay to get it to the point where you and I can can use it. So that can mean in some, I think it's a, that we're straying a little bit from the theme, but I'll, I'll circle it back. So for example, journals that go open access, yeah, often the only way they can do that is that there is a fee for publishing in the journal. So, no. so the cost just shifts from the subscriber or the end user no. to the person who's publishing. Yeah, and that's a good point. Yeah, it's and it's there's no free lunch, right? Somebody has to pay, and so if you're if you're the person who's trying to get your research published, the publishing fees depends on the journal and whatnot, but they could be very high, and you yeah. might not be able to afford it, or your institution, if you're in academia, they may or may not cover it. Yeah. So I do worry a little bit. You know, there's pros and cons, right? So. Yeah. There's more access for the end user, but I do worry that it'll kind of stifle what gets published. But let's circle it back around to textbooks, because one of the things I often hear, and I certainly felt it myself as a student, is textbooks are so expensive. Yes. Right? So expensive. Right. And so we have to remember that the market is very small. Yeah. You know, for especially anything in veterinary medicine, the market is really small. Um, and yet the physical book is quite expensive to produce and they're often translated into other languages so they can be used around the globe. So it's a completely different market, right? From the market of books that go out to the, to the general public. Yeah. And that also brings us to how much money do people who write and edit textbooks make? <laughs> yes, that's a good point to bring. Because yes, you know the laughing. answer. Yeah. Yeah, not a lot. I can tell the you that. The answer is not much. <laughs> um, one thing I've deliberately never done is keep track of how many hours I put into a textbook yeah. and then looked at what my royalty check is to figure out how many dollars per hour because I think it would be negative. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> no, I totally agree. I, I, I don't think people <laughs> write books because of they want to be rich. I mean, it, you, know, you can get rich of writing books, obviously, if you if you uh, start nonfiction and you are uh, on the uh, top selling list, uh, a book list, of course, then you make some money. But writing <laughs> textbooks, there's only very few textbooks yeah. that are that successful. And even then, uh, veterinary medicine textbooks Okay. Yeah, okay. you're not going to live on that income. <laughs> no, it's like a couple of thousands. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. So it's a labor of love. And, and that's exactly it. And, and you know, for me, um, I'm as perfect, you know, this this book costs money, too, and I'm paying for sure. it. So sure. the person that uh, will do an awesome because I just saw the first proofs, uh, awesome job in, in putting this all nicely together. She's not doing that for free sure. and I'll be paying that. But I'm OK with that. I, I just think yeah. that you know once again i think this needs to just be a book that is available for everybody um but i'm also so although i like to punish myself i like to punish myself even more by writing another book uh, directly <laughs> after this one is done so i'm really happy that this one is done because it's really truly done so i don't have to do anything anymore all the chapters are there it will be published i, I still have to publish it on my website but you know, I don't have to yeah. do anything anymore because, you know, it's done. But so the next step is my second book, which is a the reconstruction book that I am doing yeah. with uh, Dr. Tahar. And so that's the next project, which I now have to start. So I am a gluten for punishment because I'm so happy that this is done. And I already know that the next one is waiting for me. Yeah. So why <laughs> do we do this? So your next one, it's you and one other person. Uh, it, the next edition will be three people. So it's three. it's me and two other people. Dr. Bryden Stanley will be yes. part of it. Uh, she's an amazing uh, reconstructive surgeon, and uh, and and Gert, uh, who uh, who did the first uh, version with me, uh, will do it. So it's a little different. Both books are a little different because this the second book is only three authors so that's really different from having multiple multiple authors because so how, you do you, how do you divide that up like do you each have chapters you're responsible for yeah. and do you review each other's work or how does that yeah so so there's uh, there's i think nine or ten chapters in total in the book but it's mainly pictures too so uh, and those chapters are divided by uh, by the three of us and uh, and then you know i'll be the end editor so the you know the head editor or whatever you call it um and so i will look at all the chapters but i also write some of, of or adapt some of the chapters because the chapters are there we just need to you know when when you when you revise a book that has chapters in there the thing that you need to do is to adapt texts that were 10 years old to now and include all the literature and the techniques that have happened between then. So you don't have to start over completely. Um, there might be, you know, in surgery, there might be some techniques that are not used anymore. But what really happens now is that you really have to add the new stuff. So you have to do literature search, you have to read the literature, you have to evaluate if that is relevant to your book. Uh, so this is the new technique that we can use. Uh, and then the addition for me is that I always look at human literature. So if there's techniques in human literature that we could use, and so the book could be, then be a a, uh, a conduit for 
this this newer technique to be uh, uh, applicable. Um, and the one thing that we're doing different this time is also that we will include patients. So before that, it was mainly pictures of the technique itself. Now you will see some patients with end results. So you can show owners how it looks at the end. So Definitely. which I think was really important. Sure, especially for reconstructive surgery. Right? Yes. That's, that's a lot of what owners are concerned about is what's it going to look like? Yes. Yeah. And it's surprising how good it looks. I mean, of course, with dogs and cats, we're happy because they're often long haired. So hairs will cover up a lot of stuff. And, um, but, uh, Unfortunately, but no, they kind of, they don't care what they look like. It's we who care. No, but I, it's, it's funny that you say that because they don't care, but the owner does. And I remember when I was still doing quite a lot of reconstructive surgery that owners were very, very upset if it didn't look like what it looked previously like or yeah. even coloring. You know, I, I always would, when I did my reconstructive uh, surgeries, I looked at the coloring of the skin, especially when you have multicolored, you know, uh, patterns, that the pattern of the skin color was good too. Because I remember that there was, I, I did this amazing reconstruction on uh, a dog at this time. And it was so perfect. I mean, you know, you could hardly see there was anything wrong, but on the suture line, there were a couple of hairs that did not come back as black. It was a black and brown dog. I remember that it was a Rottweiler. And on the suture line, there was a couple of hairs that came out white. And the owner was so upset about that. So. Yeah. Perfect reconstruction, 100% take, looked awesome. But the owner, every time she came, she said, I just want you to realize that there's white hairs there. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so, and, and at a certain point I told her, you know, just color them. <laughs> just color and them. Said, I like that. That's a good idea. Yeah. And she did that and then she didn't complain about it anymore. But it is, it is so funny that people can be very picky about it, especially things on the face. Yes. The face is... I mean, they, they, they want it to look the same as it did before, which I understand, but sometimes that's not possible, of course. But I think all vets experience this, right? Because we, we all know we can do some like amazing abdominal surgery, but the owner judges you by how your suture, skin sutures look. That's it, you know, right? yeah. yes, you can, you can take four or five hours of internal suturing yeah. and fixing things. And it takes like 10 minutes to do the outside. And that's what they, they see. <laughs> And yeah. that's how they judge you as being either a butcher or a really good surgeon. So the other thing is, I always say, you put five hours in making a dog back to perfect, and then a dog can take out the suture within five minutes. <laughs> that's true. So that's why you have to, work. you know, protect the sutures. Yes. All right. We, as a matter of fact, we are at uh, at at time. Oh no. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, when we start chatting, we just keep on going. But yeah. just to summarize, you know, we were talking about writing book chapters. Yeah. Um, I just, we, what we didn't talk about is when you write book chapters for other books. So Whoa. I've written quite a lot of book chapters also for other books. And and it it, it is, I, I, I want to say I like to do it, but it's also a hassle because I always postpone it to the last moment. I don't know if you do the same thing. You know, it, it kind of depends. Um, <laughs> earlier in my career, I was better at meeting deadlines. And I, on the whole, I'm generally good because it always bothers me if I don't meet a deadline. 
but you know, the busier that I've become in, in recent years, I, I can sometimes really be, be pushing that. So I, I know, I think it's, it's a good insight though, right? When you're asked to write a chapter for somebody else, yes, because then you, you know, you understand what, like my books tend to have 50, 60 individual authors who yes. have 50 to 60 individual problems. And I often joke that, you know, when you're doing a textbook with say 60 or 70 authors, what are the odds? <laughs> you know, somebody's going to get divorced. Somebody's going to get seriously ill. Like, you know, something yeah. bad's going to happen to some of them. Yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and it does. <laughs> and it does. So it's good to be on the other end of that yourself sometimes, right? And just yes. get reminded. Yeah. And it's not easy to be an editor. I mean, that uh, it's it, that that's definitely the case. Uh, it, it, mm. It's I like, feel like a den mother, right? To like 60 yes. children. I'm herding cats. Yes. Yes. So so we feel great relief after the book is there. You know? Well, once the baby is born, yes. yes. Going back to the baby analogy, yes. Yes. Uh, and uh, so the, the one thing I want to say is uh, to, to, to finish up is I use Grammarly a lot. You know Grammarly? Yes. But it, 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 because, you know, I'm not a native speaker and yeah. All the little details I always forget. So Grammarly for me is a, is a big help, yeah. And I think it has improved my writing skills a little bit. How do you, do you like it? Do I like Grammarly? Uh huh. I don't. I I don't use it. Um. I, you know. I, so I I did a Bachelor of Science with a minor in English. So, yeah. Which you know is a little odd. Um. So, uh, I most of the time you know, pretty, pretty good with, yeah. with grammar, but there are some very odd rules that bog me down. Like there's rules about num this one, these ones get me all the time. There's many rules around whether you write a number out or you yeah. show the numerals. Yes. Yes. And there's many rules around that. And yeah. I only remember a couple of them all the time. And yeah. so every now and then I have to keep looking up, like, what are those strange rules? Right. Yeah, so there's there are some rules in English that don't make obvious sense, and they're you don't they're they're odd things that you don't come across very often unless you're writing a textbook. So I do, yeah, I do have to look them up sometimes, and you know, and a funny thing happens to me, Yola. You'll have to tell me if it happens to you. The more I'm looking at a manuscript and writing it or, or, and editing it, after a while, I start like even even common words you look at and you go, is that the right word? Like you can you can. You can look at it too much. Do you ever have that feeling? I know that is so crazy. It's yes. Cool. The other thing that happens is that I can look at a page and I can find a typo with one view. So yes. you have a whole page with yes. lots of words and there is an yeah. extra space somewhere. Yes. I pick it up. I mean, it's crazy yeah. because you yeah. get you get trained for after a while you for do. looking for those things. So yeah. uh, I have to tell you one quick story before we finish. So the convention in publishing is that at the end of a sentence, after a period, there's one space. Yes, but not in Europe or in English. Huh? So yes. So this is the thing. <laughs> so depending, <laughs> like especially if you learned on a typewriter before computer keyboard yes. days. Uh -huh. double space after yeah. the end but in publishing it's single space and almost all the time my manuscripts come with a single space but I have one in this edition that is double space and it is it's very distressing to me <laughs> because just like you like I immediately see 
that the pattern isn't right because it's got double space. But you can, you, you know, if you, I, I don't know if it's possible anymore for, uh, in, it, you used to be in Word that you could look for double space and you could uh, oh. replace it by single space. Oh, because double space it. is such a, a special pattern. There's very yeah. few things that have double space. Yeah. And that helps you tremendously. I'll have to look then. That's yeah. it. All yeah. right, tip off the bag. <laughs> All right, Dr. Susan, thank you so much. This was fun. Yeah, uh, weird things. You know, we need to have like an editor's club because we, we share very strange things, book editors. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, and we didn't even talk about the semicolon thing. but uh, oh, Or the Oxford comma, don't get me started. Yes, so, so just to finalize a little bit on, uh, because we'll keep on going as a matter of fact, to finalize a little bit on the latest news, uh, there was some uh, in the news, um, there was something about a cat vaccine against yeah. Corona. Yes, right. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. So there was a press release, like we're in early January 2021 right now, and a press release came out in the last week of a company that has decided to produce a SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 vaccine for cats. And the press release said they decided to do it because they were concerned that cats could be a reservoir for the virus and that a, um, a more uh, a severely virulent strain could arise in cats and get spread to people. Yeah. Now that is like wrong. It's just wrong. So people give COVID-19 to cats, not the other way around. And what we know about natural infections in cats means it's beyond unlikely that they would ever, that, that a, a, a more virulent strain would ever come from cats and get transferred to people. So although I, I you know, see why they're making the, this, the case, but I have to say, I don't think it's grounded in science. Yeah, so we'll have to see, you know, press releases come out all the time. And then sometimes you never ever hear again from about those yeah. products, so, you know. Yeah, great end of the per podcast. Yay. Uh, yeah, if you like us, you have to give us a good review. Yes, Dr. you Susan. do. And how yeah. do you do that? Yeah, so you can find us on um, any app that you listen to podcasts, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Um, so if you do and you like what you hear, please leave us a good review because that helps other listeners find us. That's one of the main way people find new podcasts. You can also listen directly on our website and you can also see all the past episodes and that's perpodcast.net. And on social media, what's our handle, Yola? At perpodcast. It is. We and although it. we have had kind of a crazy start of 2021, especially in the area where I live, uh, I think 2021 is going to be a good year. I hope so. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. And everybody be safe, uh, get yeah. vaccinated, and, uh, and we'll see you next week. That's right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yola Kirpenstein is a diplomat of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove screw-bite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at per podcast. 